0: Diving into everything there is to know about renewable hydrogen, this is Purple is the New Green, a Nell Hydrogen podcast co-hosted together with H2View. Join us as we talk about hydrogen, the energy carrier of the future, already available today. Welcome to another episode of Purple is the New Green. I'm Lila Asdell-Danielson, and joined, as always, by my co-host, Rob Cockrell.
1: As always. Yeah, I suppose you're kind of stuck with me for these episodes, aren't you?
0: Oh, no, I wouldn't say stuck. That sounds very harsh. Pleasantly accompanied or something.
1: Hmm, or something. At least I bring purple to the podcast.
0: Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You bring the purple? I thought that was my gig. You know, now brand manager and all. Okay, what purple swag did you bring to the show today?
1: Today, Lila, it's the socks. Socks? Yep, socks. They're pretty awesome too. See them?
0: Huh. Well, much as I hate to admit it, I don't think I own any purple socks.
1: See? I'm out purpling you. I did say I would a couple of episodes ago, if I'm not mistaken.
0: You did. I clearly need to up my game.
1: Yep. You might want to get on that before we chat with Bjorn in the next episode. He may not be your boss anymore, but I'm betting he still has high expectations of your purple game being on point.
0: (laughs) True enough. Okay, I'll see what I can do.
1: Okay, so Bjorn's next week. Who have we got on the roster today then?
0: Today, we've invited the head of laboratories and testing in the Nell fueling division and one of the co-founders of H2Logic, Jesper Boysen, to join us. He's going to give us some insight into the world of hydrogen fueling, the history of the past couple decades, as well as how it's developing today.
1: Ah, Excellent. I've been looking forward to learning more about the Nell family and taking a deeper dive into the topic of hydrogen fueling, of course.
0: I don't suppose h 2 view has had any coverage on the topic over the past year?
1: Oh, you know we have. Admittedly, I think a lot of other uh, challenges or talking points have been making the big headlines this year. Think. COVID-19 recovery plans, the EU hydrogen strategy etc. But we've seen a steady stream of fueling infrastructure announcements in the background too. Just look at Germany where they continue to roll out stations.
0: Yeah I've seen that. They're really making inroads there. You get it?
1: Got it. Very good.
0: <laughs> so any other particular regions stand out in terms of fueling?
1: Well, we've had plenty of updates from California, for example. That's clearly a hotspot. But yeah, we've seen stations announced in France, Japan, Korea, even New Zealand. So there's progress all around. And when I interviewed Shell Hydrogen this summer, I was pleasantly surprised to hear about all of its existing stations across Europe and California, as well as some of those stations that are still on the horizon.
0: Wow, plenty going on here then. This sounds like a really good time to invite one of Nell's fueling experts on the line. Hey, Jesper. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey Laila, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Jasper, I have to ask before we get into the details of the company, where does the name come from? H2 Logic? Because hydrogen just makes logical sense or
2: Yeah, you can say uh, H2 Logic started out, you know, in 2003, of was for engineering student at Aarhus University, we we wanted to create some new business opportunities. And we've been working with uh, wind turbines uh, in, in Denmark for, for several decades and, and being, being a pioneer in that, we saw the logic in that the next natural steps for wind turbines would be to produce the hydrogen. And I guess that, that, that was the logic we wanted to put in the name, that H2Logic is the logic uh, choice for the future.
1: So now that we've got that cleared up, H2Logic, can you tell us a bit more about how it came to be and what's the history there?
2: Sure. So as mentioned, uh, we, we started out uh, four engineering students, Michael Slott, uh, Jakob Korser, Thomas, Lokman and me. And we, we got fascinated or we fell in love with hydrogen because we, we saw that the future business that they present both as a new fuel, but also as the possibility to produce hydrogen out from renewable energy that could really bring in uh, some good business opportunities. I was personally young at that time and, and thought why want to try it out. So that somehow started out uh, the idea of, of having a company. We also learned that in Denmark you have actually been working with, with uh, producing hydrogen uh, out from uh, wind turbines. It goes back to a scientist called Paul LaCour. He already in 1891 experimented with, with wind turbines that could produce electricity. And he used that hydrogen as street lightning in a small town called Esko uh, in Denmark. And we were like, what have we been doing for the last 100 years? Uh, it's about time we we, we, we move on. Um, so we, we started out uh, while we were studying. Uh, we didn't have any market. Hydrogen at that time were, were not a business as it is today and we would learned in school that you need a market uh, we didn't have any money to invest in products but we had to believe that hydrogen could be the game changer of, of the future so in the first years we engaged ourselves in sale of educational products we sold to schools and universities universities and also did some consulting services and, and started selling various industrial products in the field of hydrogen and this provided some kind of a basic for financing uh, some initiatives uh, within uh, own development and of making products uh, within fuel cell systems uh, and fueling stations.
0: You mentioned the connection with, with wind energy, and that's really what sparked it off. And I think anybody who, who knows anything about Denmark, I think one of the, the big things when it comes to renewable energy in Denmark is obviously wind. Is there still a big connection between wind energy and, and hydrogen in Denmark today?
2: Sure, like Denmark is right now installing more and more renewable energies and, and Denmark in fact have a target to being fossil independent in 2050. So so we're, there's a huge focus on renewables and a lot of new plant wind parks. And that also gives some challenging with, with how to use that surplus of electricity when we don't need it. So there's several initiatives ongoing on, on how to, to also combine that with hydrogen. Like our largest energy company called Örstel uh, is, is uh, involved in several projects also with know where we are looking, looking into that.
1: And what about the rest of the world, Jesper? Is, is there anything you would add on that?
2: Well, you can say in general that there's, there's an increasing trend on installing renewable energies. And, and that, is, that is also one of the, um, you can say, uh, why, one of the reasons why we have an increasing focus on, on fueling. So with more installation of renewable energies, uh, it would be uh, challenging with, with storing the energy. And and beside that, also an awareness of fossil fuel needs a replacement of uh, and, and we need to to, to reduce the greenhouse effects. And that, I think, is also pushing the hydrogen fueling out in a way where it's getting more and more relevant. And further on, on, on the user level of the hydrogen, you see the fuel cell technology and I think, in general, there is an understanding now that, and an acceptance that pure battery electric vehicle doesn't solve all needs. It doesn't give the same freedom as you have with combustion engines running on petrol and diesel, um, where you have fast fueling and long ways. So, so, so in short words, you can say that hydrogen is becoming the fuel that can deliver the power without any compromise.
0: To pull you back a little bit to um, what you're talking about uh, in regards to Denmark and the target of being fossil independent by 2050, where are we on that? Are we, is Denmark on track to that?
2: To be honest, I don't know the details, uh, but I know that uh, we're very ambitious and we are currently working on uh, on a project also in Fredericia uh, where we're installing a large, uh, really big uh, electrolyzer systems that would be install at an oil refinery uh, and and that then can have the access to to cheap electricity and thereby produce hydrogen to distribute out to to several stations in in Denmark so there's an an, an increasing interest uh, for for fueling and currently we have what do we have we have six stations installed in in De- Denmark operational and currently there's there's two station on uh, the commissioning uh, one here in in Herning actually at our factory so we can invite our customers by and and have a fueling but also one in uh, copenhagen that's being done together with our partner everfuel where we will be fueling uh, taxis in a fleet
1: okay so let's talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about that sorry so there seems to be lots of progress in denmark as you just said and and as i said at the top of the episode we see announcements all the time in different regions the hydrogen fueling industry has clearly seen a lot of ups and downs. Why do you think it's so relevant right now?
2: It's it's relevant because there's more and more uh, renewable energy in the grid. And, and that gives challenging reducing and, and storing that energy. And, and then the, the acceptance of that uh, hydrogen can deliver the power with any, uh, without any compromise. Like with, with battery electric vehicles being trying out in buses, also trucks and so on. You see that uh, it 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 just gives really big challenging with with uh, with driving uh, and fueling, since it takes long time and and the payload of batteries is, is very high. So fuel cell technology gives that freedom, and that together with the renewable energy gives some kind of uh, understanding that that you can create that link between the renewable energies and the users without compromising any needs. And then also that that uh, reduced greenhouse effects in uh, that requirement or, or uh, of, of how much emission you you allowed uh, that requirement is, is just getting higher and higher. so so I think that is that is uh, that's the reason.
0: So we're clearly seeing that there's a need for for hydrogen and kind of a spread need for hydrogen. Where would you say is the biggest market for hydrogen as a fuel right now? What applications?
2: Hydrogen in general can, can be used more or less for all vehicle applications, but there are vehicle types uh, where battery electric vehicles cannot do the job and, and we need faster fueling, longer range, or if there's a high pollution from, from vehicles, for instance, from, from city buses in the local environment. So the, the obvious choice would be like uh, taxis, vehicle driving, many kilometers a day, delivery vans, city buses, trucks, so overall vehicles that drives a lot and need to be able to do either fast fueling or or long ways and that hydrogen can help with. But also from a market perspective you can say that looking at how to finance the infrastructure buses and trucks makes good sense because with a relatively small infrastructure like one or two stations you'll be uh, able to serve a large fleet of city buses or, or trucks, because they are typically centralized or used in an environment or in a city, where they fuel the same place. And they uh, use many hours, meaning they use a lot of fuel, and that helps the operator who invest in the in- infrastructure to make a better investment compared to a to, uh, uh, really large fleet of, of light duty vehicles. So, so that's currently the, the hotspots. That's that's like city buses and and also uh, trucks uh, and, and and taxi fleets. Uh, but train solutions and boats are also I know on under on, on the studies, and that could also be interesting because their batteries can't really do the job. So here, hydrogen for sure would be a, a cheaper uh, alternative.
1: And when it comes to light, ju- light duty versus heavy duty vehicles, um, where do you feel hydrogen fits best? Is it in those fleets?
2: Yeah, you, you, you can say when, when we started out working with, with hydrogen, we had to believe in, in the car OEMs uh, would, would push out the technology and then that the, would the, uh, spread to other markets as well. You can say uh, they've disappointed a little uh, since uh, they didn't put out the vehicles we actually hoped. But there's a good market fit for for, for vehicles uh, like like, uh, city buses and and, and trucks, no doubt of that. And then you can also quite early commercialize those segments compared to to light duty vehicles, where the cost of the vehicle actually is much higher as it is currently, because it's still a, a small fleet they produce and thereby the cost is higher.
0: You mentioned this already a bit that, you know, there seem to be some pretty firm camps in the battery versus hydrogen discussion for powering vehicles. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think there's, there's room for both uh, technologies. And it's it's not a matter of yes or no. And it's not black and white because we, we need to remember that a hydrogen vehicle is also a hydrogen electric vehicle. So it runs on electricity. The fuel cell produce electricity. So looking into the car, they, they, they look quite the same besides the hydrogen uh, electric vehicle has a hydrogen storage and a fuel cell to generate electricity where, where the battery is located actually as well as, as a hybrid, a small battery to take up the, the braking power and give give acceleration as well in the cars. But but a pure battery electric vehicle would probably be more suited for users where you don't need to drive that long. or. We accept a longer driving charging time and for smaller cars, because if, if you need to have this, the same driving distance in a in, in the small car, you, you would need some more space uh, and, and, and payload because the battery itself just will, be, will take up more volume.
1: Sure and I, I, I mean i seem to hear this a lot about the the battery brigade as they're sometimes called that, um, you know the, the battery infrastructure is very much there it's, it's, it's there now it's far more advanced than hydrogen in terms of the hydrogen infrastructure scale up are there any technical hurdles to overcome or is the technology ready to roll so to speak
2: on existing types of vehicles like light duty vehicle and, and medium duty vehicle we'll be filling either 70 scale or 35 scale. Uh, I don't think so. So it's, it's a no. The technology and standards for fueling is, is quite developed. The mechanical interface to ensure you don't feel the wrong pressure in the vehicles and method for fueling safe with, with good performance is already there and it's pretty standardized. However, for, for 70 megapascal heavy duty vehicles, the t- technology is still under development. We need to transfer up to six times more fuel uh, compared to a light duty vehicle in the same period of time so we we need new development and uh, currently know is active in an industry group where we finance and develop the mechanical uh, hardware for fueling 70 megapixel uh, heavy duty but also the protocol to enable fast fueling so it's safe uh, and give a full tank and and this industry group is together with companies like Nikola, Shell, Toyota, Hyundai and, and Aliquid.
0: So while we're talking about the, the technology what would you say makes now Hydrogen's fueling technology stand out?
2: Well, you can say we, we are uh, quite unique compared to others because we have all the design, development, and man- manufacturing in-house, and the key elements how to deliver good products to our customers. On, on the technology side, we have our own compressor technology, our own cooling technology, and and also uh, advanced software and programming. To ensure a safe and reliable and and cost competitive solution for our customers, but some of the the uniqueness of, uh, of our products is that we have the flexibility to install our fueling station. They like consist of different Lego blocks. I, I'm from Denmark, so we like Lego, and and we're also trying to use these Lego blocks when we are offering solutions to our customers. You can combine the different elements uh, in the station so you can customize it to the individual sites and needs. We also have a very compact dispenser that can be placed up to 50 meters away from the the station itself and the the compressor and the cooling that's installed in the station module uh, and the hydrogen storage, uh, it can be placed uh, independent on the site that gives some flexibility when you install it on a very compact site like we've done in, uh, in 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 san francisco we also worked a lot on certification so we have our products now UL the us and we, we started out developing our own compressor our hydrogen compressor uh, because we we realized uh, when we started out with fueling that the existing industrial compressors is really not designed for for the need of a hydrogen station where you have a lot of frequent start stops. So we started out development of our own compressor, which we're now using in our in our, our station. And it's a diaphragm compressor. So we have this membrane where we ensure that it's physically separated between the gas and hydraulics. Because when you have a, a fuel cell in a car that, that uses this hydrogen, it needs to be very pure. So we need to be 100% ensure that we're not contaminating the, the hydrogen with, with, with anything from the station. Further, the, the compressor is designed for a very dynamic operation. Uh, so it can start up on the pressure and avoid any kind of venting. And, and we have variable speed on it, so we can run it very smooth and, and, and for, for the, for high capacity and with a good efficiency and long maintenance intervals. So, so that, that's for sure, uh, the heart of the system, our own compressor, which we are very proud of, and then we have a dedicated safety system where we have included the fueling protocol, uh, SAE J2601, that's one which is a requirement for fueling uh, light-duty vehicles, uh, medium-duty vehicles. And and this we're fulfilling, and we're also one of the first in the world to achieve, to comply with the standard. Uh, and we have a cooling system, so when, you are, when you're filling uh, a car, you need to cool down the hydrogen in order to avoid that the tank itself on the vehicle would be overheated. So we have this unique uh, triple-point CO2 system where we're cooling hydrogen down and we have uh, a kind of energy reservoir with with CO2 inside that gives a very high heat transfer and makes that we can make it very compact. And it also complies with the European and US uh, regulations. So that's some of the key uh, elements or or you can say benefits that our customers would have when when they buy a product from us. But beside of the technology, we also try to push ourselves in a direction, not only to have the technology, but also being able to have the manufacturing capabilities and design of products for assembly, because that we also believe is the way forward, bringing down the cost, lead time and improving the quality. And, and that's why I, I'm sitting here today in a factory which we moved into uh, two or three years ago and invested close to, to 10 million euros in, in, in that in Herning.
0: I was going to ask you about the uh, the big investments in the uh, factory in Herning, actually. So that led me right into it. Thank you. What can you okay. tell us about those uh, <laughs> those big investments that uh, we've been making there?
2: Yes. Yeah, so so um, we have now uh, close to ten thousand square meters of production and integrated together with uh, sales, development, and all the the key uh, functions when you, you for for supply chain and uh, and all that under on one roof, and that itself make development very uh, smooth, so we, we can develop and design and integrate it uh, uh, very easily. We currently proud that have been working the last one and a half year on, on a new test facility as well, where we likely would have the Europe's largest test center for hydrogen fueling, where we will have laboratories and an outdoor fueling area where we will be, be able to, to test components, prototype systems and, and complete stations. So it, it's uh, very proud to 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 uh, we we have this, this factory and we can show our customers that we really really mean it when we say that this is the future.
0: So keeping things on the positive note, what are some of your favorite hydrogen fueling facts?
2: I think there, there's many fascinating facts, but I can try to 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 give you a couple. Uh, hydrogen is by far the most energy dense fuel in the world, and it's fascinating to think of that you can just put what what's equals five liters of milk uh in in weight like five kilogram of hydrogen into a car and then you can drive more than yeah 550 kilometers i, I think that's that's fascinating and just tells how hydrogen really can, can be a game changer for the future and when we are fueling we only take around three minutes to fuel a tank in a passenger vehicle if it's buses we we take a bit more it's uh around up to 10 and trucks around up to 15 minutes. So uh, I think that that really uh, is fascinating to think of as hydrogen. And when you are using hydrogen, the only exhaust from a fuel cell is, is pure water. I remember we've had the fuel cell system of boots and so on and, and I was standing on exhibition and we had this uh, fuel cell running and then we had uh, as a waste a drinking glass underneath so people could go through and have a, a glass of, of water. and I drank several and it tastes pretty good.
0: Maybe a product we should be uh, putting on the uh, Nell shelves yeah. or maybe not.
1: <laughs> uh, there are some great numbers there, Jesper. Um, I, I wondered if we could just come back to the, the compression technologies for a second. Um, that's certainly been yep. a really hot topic at H2View uh, in the last few months. We've tapped into something with our audience there uh, and perhaps a bit of a, a gap to be met in the market. Um, just on some of those figures you were giving us, I wondered if you could tell us um, about the maintenance intervals. W- would I be right in thinking they're up to 4,000 hours?
2: That's right. That's the goal. At uh, least to, from, from a user perspective to reach 4,000 hours. We have tested in our laboratories for uh, yeah many more than 4,000 hours. But However, the potential is there and, and uh, it, it shows for sure that if you develop something dedicated and understand uh, the physics behind it's possible, even though uh, the molecule is very small and the pressure is very high, it's possible. So so that, that's what we have been doing and, and developing because we could see the existing technologies are, are just not there. Um, and uh, in order to, to do that, we've developed some new novel surfaces and, and new steelings and methods to reduce those wear mechanisms in, in the in the compressor. And that's why uh, like a test center is very important for the future, because then you can actually test and validate your products before you, 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 you put it out. And, and that has been one of the big changes from when I started in H2Logic. We moved from a project oriented uh, focus to being more now product oriented. And I think that's, that's really important for, for the success of, of hydrogen in, in the future. Also, that it should be products and not projects we do each time.
1: Sure, sure. And did I hear you right that it's 100% contamination-free diaphragm compression? Because that would be quite important too, I'd imagine.
2: It is. uh, You you have a physical separation between the the hydraulics that pump the membrane up, and then on the other side you have hydrogen gas. And actually the the membrane used in the past were round, but we developed elongated head, because we thereby could have a membrane that could improve its efe- efficiency, because we we have less turbulent flow inside the head. But beside that, also we could have more flow. The cavity of the head is suture, so we can have we can compress more hydrogen per stroke. But the membrane itself, the barrier there, consists of three uh, uh, membranes. So if one fails, we would stop. If you after uh, running it for for years uh, would would have a membrane that fails so it's it's nearly impossible that you could have any hydrogen into your uh, into your hydrogen stream and that that's again i believe we have that that compression should be uh, contamination free uh, and no no uh, leftovers of, of oil or any other fluids uh, in in the hydrogen
1: wow yeah that's fantastic
0: I wanted to pull you back to something you had uh, mentioned earlier about how, uh, in addition to, of course, passenger vehicles and taxis and buses, trucks, etc., there's also some interest in using hydrogen fueling for for trains and boats. Where are we on that today?
2: Well, from, from a fueling perspective, you know, a tank is a tank. It's just a matter of the size of it and the pressure you fill it with. However, when that said, we, we haven't filled any uh, boats yet but I, I know the business case seems, uh, seems uh, interesting and, and there's a lot of activities going on it would likely be from a fueling perspective it would be we would be looking into a similar uh, application uh, like the, the heavy duty vehicles as I mentioned we're starting this industry group where we financing and, and developing a new fueling hardware so that hardware would probably also be used when we come to, to trains and boats, making up to six six times uh, faster fueling in the same time. So six times more flow. And I think that that could be an enabler for fueling these boats and trains uh, in, in, in the future as well.
1: So here's a, uh, a classic H2VU-style question, Jesper. What are your thoughts on the role of hydrogen fueling going forward? Is there a particular message you'd like to convey?
2: Uh, yeah, yes yeah, sure. So... I believe it would be more and more important with respect to, like the, the acceptance that it's a serious energy carrier and, and universal fuel. You can be used in many uh, various uh, applications and vehicles. There will for sure be a push of new vehicles going out in, and increasing numbers of vehicles and users in the next coming decades. But with that said, I can also see that, for instance, in China, they want to go in that direction and and they can really easy take fast decisions there uh, if you compare that also to Europe so no doubt that that hydrogen uh, is, is getting more recognized as, as a fuel that can be used uh, for, for vehicles especially light duty vehicles and and um, medium duty vehicles like buses and, and, and trucks uh, for the future I also believe that If you look into like from 30 years from now, I I think it's not unrealistic that 50% of all light duty vehicles could drive on hydrogen. And that hydrogen in the future would probably create a lot of new jobs and uh, businesses, healthy environment, and and also can provide new uh, innovative vehicles uh, that doesn't compromise our existing freedom of, of transport.
0: So on that note, you've probably already given us that, uh, that good overview, but we're just about out of time. What would be the key takeaways you'd like listeners to get from our chat today?
2: I think availability on hydrogen station will increase in the future and, and all cars would eventually be electrical driven either by pure batteries or hydrogen electrical. And, and that hydrogen fueling really can be as easy and safe as a traditional fuel and that it gives the same freedom as many see today with, with their own gasoline or, or diesel driven cars with it, without any compromise and local pollution, only water as exhaust.
0: This has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Esper really do appreciate it.
2: You're
1: welcome. Thank you.
0: So Rob, there was a lot of great info there. Any thoughts to round us off?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, what a fantastic discussion. Great to learn more about the importance of wind power and that important link in terms of truly green hydrogen. And interesting to hear Jesper's thoughts on how the increasing political will and awareness, coupled with increasing renewable energy capacity, is driving forward the fueling movement. But for me, I love that line about hydrogen delivering the power without compromise. We know there is no silver bullet in this energy transition. We will all need to be technology neutral to a certain extent, but we really do believe at H2View that hydrogen is the most robust, secure, reliable, and readily adopted fuel to underpin this huge transition. As we say, we're the champions in hydrogen's corner, so it's great to hear Jesper's confidence in hydrogen there too.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, we're clearly all about hydrogen here.
1: Indeed. Purple is the new green after all, eh, Lila?
0: It is. All right, time for me to go home and round up all the purple on that note. So I just want to say a big thank you to our audience for tuning in to this episode of Purple is the New Green. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to check out our website, nellhydrogen.com forward slash podcasts for more episodes as they're released. And you can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to tune in. We'll be back next week with more Hydrogen Talk. Until then, thanks for listening.